Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. To left center, deep, gone! Brewers lead it! And a swing and a miss, he struck him out! Down the line, and that's the ball game! Hey, Brewers fans, thanks for checking in with us. It is another week of Brewers Unfiltered. Happy to be with you again. It's Adam McKelvey, Tim Dillard, and Sophia Minert. And guys, we got a lot going on here with this team. Uh, all good things, I think, for the most part. The team, as uh, as we're getting ready here, they are a season high, 12 games above 500. they They're sitting one win short of 70 wins on the season. Uh, in even better news, their lead is three and a half games in the division over the Chicago Cubs and then four games over the Cincinnati Reds. And they're coming off of a road trip, uh, having gone six and three. We're going to call this the, the sweeps road trip, guys. <laughs> um, a sandwich of sweeps there on the road trip. Um, Chicago White Sox, a tough series against the Los Angeles Dodgers. And then they bounce back with another series sweep over the first place Texas Rangers. And they opened up the homestand with a win over the first place, Minnesota Twins. Do you see a theme here, guys? Yeah. It's been a stretch against first place teams. Um, and so far, the Brewers have won four straight. So kind of what's your overall impression of what the team is doing right now to get to this point? Well, I, I did something wrong because of that road trip, I was only in Los Angeles and I saw three <laughs> not very good baseball games. And the two of you <laughs> We're on the whole way because you are the Iron Man and woman and um, saw two really good series. Um, well, look, when they hit, they're good. I think that's the like this oversimplified lesson. And when they get production from hitters not named Christian Yelich and William Contreras, I think they're a pretty dangerous team. And and I think that's one of the takeaways. Was it Wade Miley? One of, one of the players um, actually pointed out like, when you know they they've shown that they can hit, they've shown that they can score, and you know when you when you think about the season as a whole, that's been the weakness of the club. It's a club that's built on starting pitching and defense. Those are the strengths. Every club has its good and bad, and the Brewers' weakest link is the offense. And I think the the players' point, I forget who said this, was just that that you know. When you've shown yourself that you can do it, that means you can do it again. And I think that makes this stretch against pretty good competition and good pitching in Texas in particular, and really in the first game against the Twins, um, is is a good springboard for the remaining games. Yeah, I think the biggest thing has just been with runners in scoring position. And that was, that's was that been the key really all season long. So I looked it up because I have computer access and in, in the internet and so they were 17. They were, I'm just talking about the last four games. Last four games, 
the three in Texas, the one against the Twins. With runners in scoring position, they are 17 for 39. That's a 436. But then I dug deeper because I could click on some more stuff. And I looked up August with runners in scoring position. The Brewers are batting 326. That's second best in August behind the Rays. The Rays are 354. A lot of numbers here, sorry. But the Rays are number one. The Rays, what they're doing with runners in scoring position right now is the best month across the board of any team in any month. But if you go back to the Brewers' best of the month, it goes to July. And their July was, let me see if I wrote this down. It was 261, I think. Nope, sorry. Yep, 264. So like we're talking about something very big here. It's not about getting guys on base. They've been doing that all season long. It's about getting them in. And it's not just a couple of guys, Adam, to your point. It wasn't just Yelich or Contreras. There are a lot of guys stepping up. Uh, Mark Canna, uh, Santana, Tyrone Taylor. Like these guys are stepping in in big ways. Tyrone Taylor's batting over 400 in his last seven games. Like that's what they're getting is, is guys heating up at the right time and they're doing it with runners on second base. That's the quintessential thing that they had a problem with all season long. And for this last, you know, four games, they have definitely solved it. Yeah, to mention uh, some of the players not named Christian Yelich and William Contreras, who we have talked about a lot on this podcast offensively. Um, Mark Hanna, as you said, a 304 average for him on the trip, a home run. Carlos Santana had a monster road trip. Um, he had eight hits, four of those for home runs. Tyrone Taylor is having the best offensive month of his career. Uh, he's trying to put off a, a really good month here in August on the road. He was hitting almost 350. Um, and had four RBIs. And then to me, guys, I think one of the signature moments on this road trip was Willie Adamas. Mm -hmm. uh, Willie, we know it has been a struggle for him. He has been accountable. He is still playing excellent defense. He's been able to separate the offensive struggles from the defense. But to me, one of the signature moments was the four strikeout game and the one to nothing shutout in that last game in LA. He was the final out. And he said after the game, he said, you know, I have been working at this all year. I'm frustrated. I need to be better. We need to be better as a group. Um, as a team, they only had 10 hits and three runs to show for their three games in L.A. They fly overnight, 5 a.m. arrival. Everyone is tired, gassed, everything. Willie comes back, puts together a monster game, a four-hit game, homers. And, and I think it just was really like the catalyst of what the Brewers were able to do offensively in that series against Texas. And so for Willie, it was a 324 average on the trip and 11 hits and the home run in that first game. And I just think that is like how this team, sometimes that's how it's been. You know, it's been like kind of feast or famine for this team offensively. But I think for Willie to just kind of hang with it and finally break through. Maybe that's what is happening with the offense overall here. Well, yeah. And, you know, bottom line is these players are paid to produce. So I'm not saying this to like being a good guy isn't the most important thing. The most important thing is producing. But your thing about being accountable, Sophia, that last game in L.A., you know, they, they lost one to nothing. They didn't hit. We go downstairs and we want to talk to some hitters about, um, you know, the night and, and what's going on. And, and Willie had, well, Craig Council called it his, probably his worst game of the season that night. So we saw him, his locker was in the corner and Kurt Hogue from the Journal Sentinel and I, we saw him and kind of made eye contact like we'd, you know, we'd like to speak to you. And he walked into the back 
and we were like, oh boy, really doesn't want to talk. But I think he was just like, he had to get something from a trainer or something like that. And he came back and he stood there and he didn't want to do this, but he put one hand on each of our shoulders and kind of lowered his head. And he's like, okay. And he answered every question about the team's offensive performance, about his you know, very disappointing season. He took a mental break during the last homestand to kind of clear his mind. They hoped that would get him going. It hadn't been working. He'd tried hitting more. He had pads on his palms because his palms were so beat up from so much early hitting with, with Ozzie Timmons. Um, you know, you saw it. If you look close in some of those at bats in LA, he was getting stingers because his hands are so beat up. And, you know, he answered every question and he said, I, you know, I have to be better. And that accountability, again, it's production is the most important thing, but that accountability is the, is a sign of a, a player who cares, uh, a player who knows the job and, and feels a responsibility to do what he's supposed to do when you're hitting in the spots in the lineup where he's hitting. So just a little behind the scenes, I thought, you know, for, for Willie Adamas, he, he wants to finish strong and, and maybe it'll be one of those things like the, the, Baseball cliche of it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And if he finishes good, then, uh, you know, I think everything else this season will kind of be forgotten, not forgotten, but but a little easier to swallow for him. Yeah, and I think, you know, he came back in, and in the first game against the Minnesota Twins, he keeps it going, you know, like maybe maybe he can found something that is sustainable for Hammer, even just mentally, you know, to rebuild the confidence, get some positive results. Um, the home run last night, his 20th home run of the season. He's still leading the team with that number and a little piece of Brewers history as well that he becomes the first shortstop in franchise history to have three seasons of 20 home runs or more. So I think, you know, that was after last year when he broke Robin Yount's uh, record for a single season. Um, I just think, you know, like, let's not discredit the, like, when Willie is hitting, that generally means really good things for this offense. Well, I think he definitely, I think you're right. I think he definitely sparked it on the road trip. Uh, but I think he's sustaining it because he doesn't feel the pressure of, I have to do everything. You know, there, I think there was a time when, you know, when he caught hot, it was, he would change an entire game and he knew that. And that's a lot of pressure. I got to swing for the fence. I got to get the double, but now they're scoring runs and everyone's contributing. I think last night, you know, like the first eight hits came from eight different batters in the lineup. Like, who does that? Well, the Brewers are doing that right now. And so they don't have to rely on just one guy. And so I think that alleviates some of the pressure that – because we forget these guys are humans. And they they do have the mental capacity to be like, I feel like I have to do this. You know, there's pressure on me. I'm one of the people that is in the, you know, the spotlight to do this. So I think I think guys stepping up and doing stuff around him has helped him. So he doesn't have to be that guy. And inadvertently – the side effect is he's become that guy. <laughs> he's the power's back and he's using all fields again. And uh, I don't know. I just, you look at his at bats and it looks like night and day, like before he was swinging at everything. And then he got into Texas and I mean, he's facing down some really good pitching and he's just refusing to budge on pitches out of the zone. Uh, so whatever changed in that, you know, that plane flight between LA and Texas, uh, something special. Or we can just blame Adam. <laughs> for, for being in LA guy. unbelievable I went yeah. three for three on Dodger dogs just for the record three days three Dodger dogs and and no wins. Dogs. guilty 
there were no wins in the Dodger dogs, but I was I was proud of myself because they come out in the fifth inning in the press box, and the first day I jumped up and ran back there, and they were still kind of putting them out, and it was embarrassing to be hovering. So the next two days I waited till like the sixth. So anyway, it wasn't all three. bad in L.A. <laughs> oh, I would have eaten more. I've eaten I ate three at least. It wasn't, and it wasn't all bad on the road trip either. You know, it was overall, it was, you know, I think the White Sox was kind of what you would expect. It was great pitching. It was good defense. It was timely hitting. Shocker, it was two one-run games for them. Um, Abner Uribe, by the way, picked up his first career save in that series. So that's something that uh, they can continue to build off of L.A., and then it was all offense, big offense um, in Texas. And so far that it's carried over. They won the first game against the Minnesota Twins, trying to close off with maybe another sweep here uh, this afternoon as we're recording this podcast. But coming up, it's going to be a really big weekend here at American Family Field, bringing back two Brewers legends uh, from 2008 um, to pitchers. And we've got a very special guest coming up next. One of those Brewers legends joins us as a guest here on Brewers Unfiltered. So stick around for a conversation with our guest. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. We're back with Brewers Unfiltered here, Adam, Tim, and Sophia, and we've got a great guest for Brewers fans. You're going to love this conversation with... The legend from the 2008 team. We all remember early July of 2008 when the Brewers acquired CC Sabathia from the then Cleveland Indians. And the rest is history after that trade and what that meant for the 2008 team and that incredible final game against the Chicago Cubs and finally ending the 26-year playoff drought. And guys, I'm not sure there is a player in Brewers history who has had such an incredible impact on the fan base and the history of this organization and given us all such great memories. Um, and Tim, you were you were there for so much of that. Um, just to get to talk to CeCe again and relive that 2008 season. Yeah, it was really cool. And we jumped on the Zoom call before y'all came on. So we, <laughs> we talked about some really cool stuff uh, that we didn't even get a chance to get to. But CeCe is one of a kind. And when you find out... Clearly, what he did for the Brewers, amazing, and then became a Yankee legend, and then what he's doing now in baseball and for baseball. Um, there's not a perfect person out there that kind of to kind of do this, but to kind of know the the guy behind the legend. Um, if, if you're on the uh, the Christmas card list, <laughs> you know, 15 years after being teammates, that's a pretty good list to be on. So if I would have been able to find him out of my garage, I would have pulled up the the Christmas cards to show him. Um, anyway, he's an incredible teammate, of course, an incredible pitcher, but just this interview was, was something special. Yeah. I hope people take away something they didn't know. Some of these stories, maybe people have heard before David Risky being his secret spy in the clubhouse to find out about the trade the day before anybody else did is really cool anecdote. The thing that I learned from this is 
that he credits these couple of months in Milwaukee with the pitcher he became in New York that kind of ascending to like true ace status. And, and by the way, he'd won the Cy Young already by the time he came to Milwaukee. But he says that these two months changed his outlook on coming to the ballpark expecting to win a baseball game. So I thought that was a cool little nugget that I had never heard him say before in all the times that we've got to speak to him. And, you know, again, like the most memorable couple of weeks in franchise history easily. And, and this, there's been some seasons, 2011, 2018 had some times like that, but nothing compared to those couple of weeks with Sabathia pitching every uh, fourth day and the team you know, scratching and clawing to, to end this postseason drought. We didn't get to ask him about the rally at Summerfest. Do you remember this, Tim? The rally at the Summerfest grounds where Solomon Torres got up on stage. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. And <laughs> Sol- the guy that didn't really say it a lot and, you know, didn't really talk a bunch. And then, yeah. And then up. he turned into like a WWE <laughs> personality running across the stage. So anyway, we'll have to ask CeCe about that next time. So really, really fun conversation. Well, this is the one that for for like the, the parents out there that are listening to the podcast, let your kid listen to this one um, just because it talks about being a competitor. If your kid's playing any sport, doesn't have to be just baseball um, to hear CC and what he learned from a very important figure in his life um, is is quintessential to every kid that needs to hear this because you can't teach competitiveness in a lot of way. You can only share experience and then what someone else does with that is is on them and so anyway it, it's for me really good because i feel like my kids need to hear this even though i have you know three kids that are super competitors uh but there's there's something there that you need to tap into and i think cc uh, did that well for cc sabathia it was 17 games for him as a brewer he went on to have an 11 and 2 record and just a 165 earned run average in a Brewers uniform. Again, hard to imagine a bigger impact on this franchise and having such an impact on a team in a season. So enjoy this conversation with CC Sabathia. Okay, we have a special guest on Brewers Unfiltered. We're continuing second week in a row. We have a 2008 Brewers legend, CC Sabathia, who like Ben Sheets, who is will be here on Saturday. Uh, CeCe will be here the day before on Friday night to throw a first pitch and relive some memories from the second half of 2008. It's unbelievable, CeCe, that it's been 15 years. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? The, that has been 15 years since since this stint you had in Milwaukee. Yeah, no, it's crazy that it's been that long. It doesn't seem like it's been that long. But, yeah, I mean, you know, the, you know, play in 2008, played 11 years in New York after that. So, I mean, it seems about right. <laughs> yeah, and we're on we're on video, so like, I just want to say, you you look great. I have aged horribly at this moment. <laughs> like, I'm like, I, I I'm looking at myself in this little screen. I'm thinking about just blocking myself off, but now my uh, wife look- puts a little filter on this thing for me. So that's what <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where's the filter button? But no, man, thanks for doing this. Can we start there, CC? Because. Um, can you tell us what you're doing and um, just how you fill your time today besides, you know, four hours a day in the gym? Uh, so I have a, a job with Major League Baseball. I'm assistant to uh, to the commissioner. So that's, you know, any on-field duties, um, you know, off-field, you know, relationships. Uh, just yesterday we were in Detroit meeting with the Cubs and uh, the Tigers just, you know, getting feedback on the pitch clock, what these guys think about you know, the rule changes, you know, if they, you know, a lot of guys are concerned with the ABS, if that's coming, you know, um, so 
being able to, you know, talk to these guys, you know, you know, help the league office with the relationship with the players um, and just really be a part of the game. Um, it gives me access um, on a level that I've never had to the game. So um, to be able to, to, you know, get done playing. And I feel like, you know, Tim, you know, this as a player, like we never have like MLB as an option, you know, it's always just the yeah. players association or go work for a team. So to be able to actually work at a league office, have an office at, at central baseball, I think it's cool. And it just opens it up for hopefully more players to, you know, come up there and, and, and give their input because the league needs it. That's true. That's smart too, to get like one of the best segues imaginable, right? Like, you know what it's like to be a player, you great teammate. And then on the flip side of that, you get to influence what goes forward in baseball. I mean, that's, how, how did that happen? No, it's, like, it's, it's a dream job. You know, um, honestly, I mean, I got a chance to meet Rob and and we kind of hit it off. And, you know, like I mean, again, you know, when you're a player, you're kind of trained to hate the commissioner or hate the league office just be just by, you know, by the meetings that we are in. So, you know, having a chance to meet him, sit down with them and, you know, him really take my opinion and and, you know, try to implement some of the things that I'm telling them uh really drove me to be like hey this is a, a thing that i you know somewhere i can i can work and um think it'll be a, a great job Raul Abanez is up there uh albert pujols is now there jimmy rollins adam jones um Vic, same victorino so it's uh it's a good little group of guys that we, we're getting started you know working at the league office to hopefully um you know make some changes in the game you're working with Shane Victorino, man. After he hit the grand slam <laughs> off me, right? <laughs> Un unbelievable. <laughs> I, I'm curious, Cece, in in that role when you're talking about these really impactful things across the league, like, do you think about yourself, like, you know, Cece the pitcher? How would I feel about a pitch timer? How would I feel about some of these rules, the pickoff throws? Um, do you think about yourself as the competitor and put yourself back on the mound when you're having these conversations with players and, and across the league about making these changes to the game? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing is is having players, um, you know, that recently played the game that can, you know, talk to these guys about, you know, certain rules like, hey, that won't work. Hey, this will work. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing that I felt like that I inputted with the rule changes this year was, you know, in spring training, I told them right away, like, we need to be super strict with the rules. You know, if you're super strict with the rules at the very beginning, so a lot of violations, people were freaking out in spring training because there's a lot of violations and things were going on. But it it helped the players, you know, get, you know, get acclimated and understand that this is a new rule. This is how we're going to police it. And you see during the season, you know, you're getting like a, a one violation every, you know, 30 games or something like that. So it's been it's been pretty cool to, to see um, how these guys have adjusted to the new rules and the way the fans have accepted the new rules. I mean, me and Tim were talking about it earlier before you guys got on the pod. We were here, you know, early. You guys were late. But <laughs> we were just talking about how fans are back at the ballpark. You know, attendance up 9%. You know, people are back at the ballpark during the week um, because it's a product that you can digest now with the pitch clock. Well, speaking of fans packing the ballpark, let's talk about 2008 because I think some fans will love to hear some memories, and I think people are really going to enjoy just getting to see you on that mound again because it brings back great memories. No one asked me, but if you were to ask me, my the favorite, the best regular season games 
for the Brewers in the Miller Park era. It's like the first game ever at Miller Park. Richie Sexton hit a homer in the eighth to win a great game against the Reds. Uh, Freddie Peralta's major league debut in Denver. I always tell Sophia is one of my absolute favorites. Struck out 13. Everybody had tears in their eyes. The finale, the game 163 at Wrigley. And, I mean, it's got to be the finale in 2008 against the Cubs. It was like an epic day where there were two games really going on at once, the game here against the Cubs and um, that game. So anyway, let's get to that later. But first, CeCe, what do you remember about the run-up to that trade? Because you, you've said this, you were not pitching at the top of your game. Like the second half Sabathia we saw is not the first half CeCe Sabathia in Cleveland. So what do you remember about the run-up? Was it like an inevitability that you were going to go somewhere? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I turned down a contract in spring training. Um, so, I, you know, we had talked about, um, you know, there was a possibility of me getting traded. You know, I knew leading up to that, that, you know, something was probably going to happen. I didn't know it was going to happen that early, you know, before, um, you know, the All-Star break or the first weekend in July, basically. Um, but that weekend, um, I remember we were in Minnesota and my best friend is Dave Risky and he was on the team at the time. Um, and he, I remember him calling me. He's like, he called me on Saturday. I was at the mall with my family. He called me on Saturday. And he goes, hey, you coming to Milwaukee? I just walked to the back and I saw them making up your jersey. So I'm like, you know, nobody has told me anything yet. And like, I called my wife and I'm like, hey, maybe Milwaukee. It was another team that I cannot remember um, who was in the mix to trade for me. I know it was New York, but it was one other team that was like real serious about you know, maybe me going there. But when Rissy called me and told me that he saw my jersey getting made up, I was like, all right, this is it. So I, I was really just waiting for them to tell me. Um, we played that night Saturday. Sunday we play, I still don't hear anything. And we fly back from Minnesota and we're on the tarmac. I'm getting my bag and the traveling sec secretary comes up to me. He's crying. And that's when he tells me that I got traded. Um, and, you know, I, like you said, I hadn't been pitching well. I had, had two good starts. I pitched against New York. And then I pitched against uh, Minnesota that that weekend, and I had been and I had two good starts, so I felt pretty good. And um, Mark Antonacini or Doug Melvin, they told me they were like, "Hey, you can you know pack your stuff up, you can wait. You know, it's Sunday. You know, you're not you don't you're not scheduled to pitch again. You're scheduled to pitch Tuesday, but you can pitch again. You know, after the All Star break, do whatever you need." And I was like, "Nah, man, like send a plane. Like I'm I'm ready to go. Like I got on the plane the next morning." And I wanted to get to the park. And, you know, as soon as I got there, I was like, hey, I'm going to pitch tomorrow on my scheduled day. I want to pitch twice before the All-Star break. So I ended up pitching Tuesday and Sunday. Um, and it, it just got me off to a good start, like getting there, walking into the clubhouse, seeing the guys. Felt like I had been there forever um, and just felt comfortable right away. So I was glad that I made the decision to, to leave right away and not, you know, linger and, linger and hang around in Cleveland um, and, and just get started with the new squad. I'm still mad at David Risky for not, you know, can he pass along that tip to a reporter? <laughs> Come on. That would have been a nice scoop. Go look, go look back in the equipment room. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. You, I, I did some research too. So you're talking about getting those starts in before the all-star break and you had 35 starts that year. Did you know that? I don't know if you knew that probably. No. Um, so since that 2008, only five pitchers, have made 35 starts in a season that yeah that's I didn't know either thank you computer <laughs> uh what what about that season uh did you just feel good because you threw 253 innings by the way 
Uh, and no one has thrown that many innings in a season since. So what was it about that season that you just felt amazing? Anything different? No, I just felt great. I mean, I, you know, the, the second half of 2006, I learned a slider. Um, and that kind of like, you know, uh, kind of carried me through t- 2007. I won the Cy Young 2007. And, you know, I mean, you know, I go into the offense in 2007. I'm like, oh, this is easy. I got this figured out. Like, I'm going to do this every year now. 20 games, you know, like it's easy. Get to the get to the first half of 2008 and I'm getting my butt kicked, you know, just like baseball. You know, every time you got it figured out, you know, it's, it's going to figure out a way to humble you. And, and I was humbled in the first half of 2008. So I was really just trying to scramble to get back to like even where I could like go out and pitch deep into a game and feel good about it. And those two starts right before I got traded is, is you know, those were key. I pitched really good against um, – the Yankees in a game in Cleveland. And then I pitched against Minnesota and I, and I started to feel like myself. And, you know, I I had that first start against Colorado when I got to to Milwaukee, I didn't pitch as, as well as I thought I should. I think I went like five or two thirds or maybe six innings, gave up a couple of runs um, and didn't feel too good about it. But I remember thinking like, Hey, like I'm, I'm throwing the ball. Well, I went into the bullpen right after that start and, Mike Maddox is like, hey, we we need we gotta we gotta find a pitch that um that can get you, you know, good contact or get you contact early in the count. And he showed me a two-seamer. And uh I remember I, he showed me the two-seamer and I threw a couple and they they were moving. I was like, oh, this is gonna work. And I took it into the, the very first game and and uh Ty Wigginton, you remember that guy, Ty Wigginton, the right-handed hitter? Yeah. If, uh 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 Kendall calls a, a, a two-seamer, I'm like, oh yeah, this is it, about to get my ground ball. And I threw it, and he hit the ball off the scoreboard. <laughs> <laughs> he hit it off the scoreboard. But that two-seamer was what really, like, changed, you know, the trajectory of really my career in that second half. Like, being able to, to grasp the concept of, of that and getting early swings and contact early in the count where I wasn't, you know, throwing 40, 50 pitches by the third inning was really what helped me get deep into the games in, in Milwaukee. That's awesome. Cece, I think, you know, what fans remember so much about that 2008 season was that finishing kick you had, right? The the, the stretch of starts that you had at the end going on three days rest. And, and Tim point out, you know, to make 35 starts is just insane, I think. Um, so I guess physically and mentally and emotionally at that point in the season, right, when any starter is, is feeling fatigue, um, what went into that decision of making that stretch of starts on three days rest? And I guess my second part of that question would be, the game is so different now. Do you think that, like, that was so unselfish of you to do that? Um, new to a team, second half. I'm just curious if you think, like, that has that part has maybe changed in the game now. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part. that part has changed maybe just organization-wise. I don't think an organization would let anybody do that, you know, these days, um, just from health-wise. I mean, I think for me, I felt good. You know, I like, I, I, I was healthy. I felt great. And, um, you know, there's never a time in, in, in your career where you feel like, where you know you're going to win the games. Like, I knew I was going to win those games. There, you know, it, like... <laughs> Never a time in my career where I knew I was going to go out and win a baseball game. There's, I never felt like that. So I'm like, I want to pitch as many days as possible. Like, I'm healthy. I feel great. Like, we need this. Our team is, you know, on the run. We're having fun. It was a great group of guys. And, um, you know, I was, I just, I felt, 
obligated and and to and compelled to do it. The only thing I never got tired. I just got mentally it was exhausting because you know you wake up and every two days it's like your day to pitch. You know what I mean? So <laughs> going through the routine of like my pitch day got a little exhausting, but physically I felt great. But was that something that you took to the team, Cece, and you said, I can do this? Like the, like the confidence that you had and also, you know, like physically that you were durable enough and strong enough to take that on and still perform, by the way, at the level that you did. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I just, I mean, I went in there and told Dale, I, I, you know, we were going through a lot. Um, Ned had just got fired and it was just one less thing I wanted him to worry about. And I was like, you know, we were in, uh, we were in we were in Chicago the day that Ned got fired, and I remember I went to his office. I was pitching the next day, and I was like, "I'm gonna pitch." We, I was looking at the schedule, and it was flipped upside down. Like I was facing him in, in his desk, and I was like, "I'm gonna pitch this day, and then I'm gonna pitch this day, and then I'm gonna pitch this day and this day." And he looked at me. He was like, "Okay, we'll see." And I was like, "All right," but like I'm definitely pitching tomorrow, and then in, excuse me, and then in three days I'm. <laughs> I'm pitching again. Like, there's, it's not a debate. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I, I felt like I just wanted to do that to, like, take that off of his plate so that he could, like, kind of settle in as a manager. He, you know, it's 12 days less in, left in the season, and he's, you know, thrust into the manager position. You know, one of the things I wanted him not to worry about was, you know, who's actually going to pitch on these days. I'll tell you, CC, I've talked to Doug Melvin a lot over the years, and he wants to always, you know, he wants to win, but he always wants to do right by players and, and everybody. And he was nervous because Brian Peters was your agent, and Brian Peters knew, like, there was a lot on the line for you with free agency coming up. And, and I know they had conversations. I'm sure you had conversations with Brian. Like, you knew you were taking on some risk there, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, but, I mean, you don't care about that in the moment. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm having fun with my teammates. We're having, you know, Prince is on the squad, you know, Bronny, Ricky Weeks. We're having fun. I just don't want the season to end. So I didn't, I wasn't worried about my health. I knew I was going to be fine. Um, I just wanted to actually win. Uh, I have a two-part question kind of about the atmosphere in the city. One, have you ever bought a drink or meal in the city of Milwaukee in the last 15 years? And, and, Second, is the legend true that you'd come back to your apartment? Maybe this happened once, multiple times, I don't know, and there were, like, cookies on your front door or, like, on your stoop waiting for you. Is that actually true? Yeah, so I lived out in Brookfield. Uh, Risky, me and, and Risky, Risky lived right around the corner from me, and Cam, Mike Cameron, um, lived out there. And where I lived in my cul-de-sac, like, I would have a good game and I would get back to my house. And it, it, would, it would, a lot of times, because my wife was pregnant with my third child and she was in Cleveland, a lot of that time for that second half stretch. So it would be like risky and can we'd be, we'd get to the house and it'd be like cookies baked there, like brownies or like rice crispy treats sitting out in front of my house. So um, that was always pretty cool about that. And yeah, I mean, the atmosphere of the city, it was great. I mean, you know, the, the kind of the city was on fire, you know, we hadn't won in so long. And like I said, uh, you know, I had never been to a, 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 a game or a stadium where the fans were tailgating in baseball before the game. So it was like, it was a cool um, vibe to the city um, to be able to be, a, you know, to be able to be a part of that winning atmosphere. Back in the day, CC guys used to go out and tailgate like, uh, Oh yeah. Like the eighties, late seventies, early eight. Right. I mean, the famous story is Gorman Thomas would like go out after the game and, you know, pop a couple of paps with the, uh, maybe Miller, I should say Miller, pop a couple of Miller lights with, with the uh, fans. I mean, we definitely, we were one of those throwback teams where 
you know, that team would hang around in the clubhouse after games, two, three hours after. Um, Jason Kendall would have tattoo parties at his house. We would all go out to his house on the lake. Like, that team was really, really, really close in a short amount of time. And I think, you know, the only reason we won is because we were so close that we hung out together a lot, a lot, a lot that second half of the season. Well, I think what's amazing is just me being like a, a very fringe sideline guy in this whole thing, kind of the fly on the wall for the clubhouse. I got invited, right? Like your mom would cook after games or something like that. You invited me a bunch of times, but at that time, my wife was pregnant as well with our first. So I was just kind of like, I don't know if I can justify that, honey, you, you enjoy that hotel room. I'm going to go eat some home cook. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of the feel I got from the clubhouse. And I'm going to be honest with you. Every time you walked into that clubhouse, it was like, we knew we were going to win. Whatever was radiating off of you, I just felt like everybody was excited about it. Is there somebody in your career early on that kind of gave you that uh, that vibe or gave you some sort of, um, I don't know, just how the game is supposed to be played from a starting pitcher standpoint? Man, you know who it was? Bob Feller. Bob Feller. Wow. When, I, when, I, when I first got drafted by the Guardians Indians at the time, Bob Feller like really took a liking to me. Um, you know, I was 17 years old. He got into the organization when he was 16. So I, I mean, I guess he saw a lot of similarities. I mean, in, in our age, obviously there's nothing similar in the way we look or when we grew up and stuff, but he always um, took, you know, just took me under his wing and just, you know, uh, made me understand what it was to be an ace. Um, you know, I remember my, my, uh, my very first year I made the team in spring training. He goes, congratulations now, you know, what's your goal? How many games do you want to win? And, you know, everybody, you know, I want to win 20 games and, you know, rookie of the year, blah, blah, blah. He was like, well, what, you going to lose 15? He was like, you're going to make 35 starts. You only want to win 20 of them? Like, you should want to win all of them. You know what I mean? So, like, making me, like, putting that competitive fire in me and, and making me understand that the team goes as I go, I think it was, I think it was Bob Feller. That's awesome. I'm getting chills. <laughs> yeah. he, he was a really see? really cool dude man like had great world war world war ii stories and i mean you know talking about you know him and satchel page relationship you know they would you know get teams together and barm starting all over the country all over the world really and play games like bob bob was an awesome man i know you loved all of your brew you know the answer will be everyone but but besides david risky your best friend who who were the guys that you really loved to play with on that 08 team man cam mike cameron he was just a vibe like sundays he would come in it'd be michael jackson playing that was all we could play on sundays on bus trips like when we, when we fly into a city <laughs> Cam would get on the mic on the bus and it was just like he was just like an old radio jockey like a smooth like r&b guy like on the mic like cam was really a vibe and i think he really taught us how to win if you remember like the untucking of the jerseys and all of that stuff that was all Cam. Like, after we won a game, he'd be like, you know, my dad would come home after a hard day's of work, and he would come in with his, with his shirt untucked. So after we whooped somebody, you know what I mean, we would all <laughs> untuck our jerseys. And I remember that 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 pissed a lot of people off. That pissed the Cardinals off big time, uh, us untucking our jerseys. But that was all Cam. So, uh, and Counts. Counts was uh, Counts is like he is now. I mean, you could see, you know, he was going to be a great manager. He, you know, commands respect from everybody. Um, and, and just the way he, you know, went about his business. Um, those two guys were the guys that I looked up to and loved just coming to the ballpark to be around every day. 
Cece, I was just talking to Craig about having this conversation with you and you coming back here to Milwaukee, and he brought up the time that he and David Stearns met with you at the winter meetings and tried to re-gift a pair of your own Jordans to you <laughs> to try to get you to come back to Milwaukee. Do you remember the story? Yeah, for sure. And now Stroger's looking for those shoes, so now I, gotta, <laughs> I may have to bring that shoe back when I come back on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was this David Stearns or Doug Melvin? Is this way back in the day or is this more recently? And did, obviously it didn't, yeah. Well, they, they got you to come back somehow. Yeah, well, no, this was to come back to pitch, to come back to play. Oh. It was in one of the meetings we were having. I was having uh, a contract discussion, discussions. Uh, Seattle, uh, Milwaukee were one of the teams, Serrano. Um, but Counts and, and David brought in some some cleats that I had and uh, that Jason had had in there. And, and now Jason's all over me about bringing the shoes back. So <laughs> I got to find it and bring it back on Friday. DC, <laughs> um, do you remember the, you know, there's that final day against the Cubs, obviously. What do you remember about the immediate aftermath? Because you, you were so, you were dialed in pitching. Ryan Braun hits the homer. There's the legend. I don't, you told me once he might have, he told you he was going to hit a homer if you would go the distance. And you guys were trying to figure out whether it was that game or if that was earlier. But then after you, I think it was, think it was the Pittsburgh game. Okay. I think it was the Pittsburgh game. But he definitely came to me one, one time I was sitting on the bench and was like, I got you and hit a homer for me to win the game. It, I don't know if it, I don't think it was in that Chicago game. I think it was a game against Pittsburgh. After that Chicago game, you get the final out, and like I imagine, you're you are you're, mentally you're dialed into the pitching, but like, do you have a strong memory of that aftermath, the waiting for the Mets Marlins game, and everybody gathering in uh, the the lunchroom to to see if you guys were going to win the wild card, or like I'm just wondering kind of where your head was at that point because you must have been a physically exhausted and kind of mentally drained by that point. I was fired up, like I, I remember <laughs> being like. I was I had so much energy and and another thing like I like I said like not like I remember driving to that game and I remember everybody like we were supposed to pack because if the the Mets won that game then we were had to fly to New York. I remember like not bringing a suitcase in. Like I remember wanting everybody to see me walk in without a suitcase. You know what I'm saying? Like we like we're going to win this game. Like we ain't got to fly nowhere. Don't worry about nothing. I, I like the, the the legend goes like Prince asked me the night before. He's like, "Are you packing?" I was like, "Hell no, I ain't packing nothing." I did pack, but I gave my suitcase to the guy at the at the front of the <laughs> at the front of the loading dock. So when I walked in, nobody saw me with a suitcase. <laughs> but I remember driving to that game and telling my cousins rode with me, and I remember telling them, I like I remember like knowing that we were going to win that game. Um, and you, you never have that feeling. That was the biggest game of my career up to that point. Um, and, and I just remember being calm and, and just knowing that, you know, I can go out and do this. And, um, really that, that game and the way I felt that morning kind of, you know, propelled me the rest of my career, you know, up until that point, I hadn't pitched well in big games, didn't pitch well in the playoffs. Um, and, and really that from that morning on, was how I felt pitching in big games from, from then on, whether it was the World Series with the Yankees or, you know, any of these different games. Um, that morning of, of that last game in 08 was kind of, you know, the the start of me pitching, you know, good in big games. I just want to say that this is the coolest interview ever. I, this is the best podcast episode of any podcast ever. I have to say that. 
Um, have you? How many times have you been back to Milwaukee um, since that season? I've been. I went back. I think we played uh, with the Yankees. I think it may be 2012, maybe, maybe 13. I remember I gave up a bomb to Carlos Gomez. Where whenever, whatever year it was. Um, and then I actually came back earlier this year. I got a chance to come back with my job through the commissioner's office um, and get, got a chance to talk to the players and stuff. But this will be my first time actually coming back and, and being with fans and, you know, actually enjoying a ball game. So I'm looking forward to it. Kind of reception do you expect? I mean, I asked you if you've ever, I was kind of joking if you've ever bought a drink or a meal here, but I imagine, you know, you're a pretty recognizable guy, CC. <laughs> I imagine when you're around town, people still recognize you. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think um, just around, you know, just in my journeys around the country, a lot of people, a lot of Brewers fans still recognize me and as a Brewer. So that's pretty cool to be able to play somewhere, you know, uh, half a season and still be recognized as, as one of their own. That's that's awesome for me. And uh, it's kind of what I was going for, you know, when I was pitching on the three days rest and, you know, uh, trying to get us into the playoffs. Um, you kind of want to make a name for yourself in the organization. Well, I think maybe we should we should close it there. Uh, actually, one more, CC, because you you got to win a World Series uh, to you know to experience what you were pitching for in '08. Um, you know, the people here really want to win a World Series. Can, can you just describe after working as long as you did to get to that pinnacle? How can you even put into words what that feels like? And and I mean, I imagine it it makes all the work worth it, right? Yeah, it, it definitely makes all the work worth it. It's hard to describe, you know, the feeling. But the the, the only thing I felt was I need to do this again. It's, it's <laughs> the weirdest thing. Like, right after you win, you're like, oh, I got to, like, you, you just automatically immediately start thinking about the next time. You know what I mean? And for most of us, there is no next time. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, to watch a guy like Derek Jeter or, you know, Jorge Posada, you know, Andy Pettit, these guys, they have five rings, man. Like, they did it five times like it's it's incredibly hard you have to be really good you have to be really lucky and and just stuff has to fall your way for you to win a championship and for those guys to do it five times is just incredible well cc thank you so much for sharing the memories i I know everybody is going to be really excited to see out there on the mound again maybe throw a two-seamer in in homage to mike maddox (laughs) i don't think it'll reach these days so i just i'm just more concentrated on reaching to the plate. Well, I'm sure council will catch you, so give him something with a little movement. Let's see if we can throw him off a little bit. I'll give him a knuckleball. <laughs> <laughs> Cece Sabathia, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to, to share some memories with us. We, we love to kind of relive a great time in Brewers history. Yeah. No problem. Looking forward thank, to, thank to Friday, so thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thank you. See you then. All right, for sure. Good to see you guys. Yeah, yeah thank you, thank Cece. You, Cece. We, we, really, we really appreciate, appreciate the time, man. No problem. We hope you enjoyed that conversation with CC. It's hard to believe it's been 15 years since that trade back in 2008 and, of course, the end of that 26-year playoff drought. CC Sabathia just putting the 2008 team on his back that year and taking them to the postseason. So great conversation with CC. We're looking forward to seeing him here on Friday for him to be recognized with a first pitch. And then Ben Sheets is coming in on Saturday, and he will become the 22nd player in franchise history to go into the Walk of Fame. It'll be great to uh, see Ben Sheets back here in Milwaukee as well. So we got a very busy weekend. Uh, Brewers and Padres wrapping up the homestand. So thanks for checking in with us this week on Brewers Unfiltered. On behalf of Adam and Tim and Sophia, make sure you're keeping up 
with All Things Brew Crew on all of the at Brewers social platforms. And we'll catch you next week. <laughs>